Well, you know I never brag on the band, you know that. If you come here, you know I never brag on our band because I don't want it to be inappropriate. We want to give glory to Christ, but I just want to tell you, for 20 years, I did this in churches and I, and I developed young musicians. Every time I'd show up at a new church from here to Alaska, there'd be 13 and 14 year old kids and they were great, but they didn't know how to play. So I spent 20 years teaching kids how to play and worship and, and I was coming here to start this church and I said, Lord, do you know, with everything I have to do in starting a new church, I cannot teach a bunch of kids how to play. One more time, if you could just bless me with some people who know how to play. Well, he answered that prayer. <laughs> what a blessing. What a blessing to have all of these great musicians here. It's such a great thing. And you know, the beloved Apostle John, we refer to him as John the Revelator because, of course, he penned the book of Revelation. And although most don't question his hand in writing the Revelation, John himself makes it clear from the beginning of the book that he is merely the messenger, the one chosen to write down this Revelation that truly comes from Christ alone. In other words, according to John, Jesus Christ is the true Revelator. So we refer to John as the Revelator because of his part, of course, in recording the great prophetic book, which is fine, as long as we always remember the true source of all divine revelation, which is Jesus Christ. And today we're finishing up our sermon series entitled, The Advocate with a Look at Jesus as the Revelator. And we should clarify first what it means to be a Revelator. It simply refers to the one who, of course, brings revelation, particularly revelation of a divine nature. And just to be clear, when we say revelation, we're referring to the revealing of something that was not previously known or realized. In theology, it's the manifestation of, of divine will or truth, okay? And I'm sure all of you have experienced uh, revelation in your own life at one time or another. Obviously, if you're a Christian, a believer, uh, and follower of Jesus Christ, you've had a divine revelation at some point as to the deity of Christ and the salvation that he offers by grace through faith, made possible, of course, by his atoning death and subsequent resurrection. But even beyond that, there are at times in our lives uh, when something that was otherwise hidden to us, a time when maybe something was unclear, was then made clear. All of the sudden, or maybe it was over time, and we experienced this great sense of revelation. You know what I mean? A clarity that wasn't previously there. I've had many of these moments in my own life. Revelation that came. And although I've shared some of those stories here, I'm going to share one again that I already told you because it was about four weeks, I think, after we planted the church. So most of you haven't heard it, but it's completely relevant to this topic. When I was a young man, I was raised in Pennsylvania. And we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I finished high school. But if you've been there, you know that Raleigh has as many northerners in it as it does southerners. So it's really not like being in a true southern town, as far as I'm concerned. So you can imagine the cultural experience for me when I moved after college to Pickens County, South Carolina. The true essence of southernality. And I hadn't yet learned the language. I was still picking up, you know, the accent and some of the phrases and the words, and I'm fluent now. I consider myself actually quite the redneck. I've been here now longer than I've been up north, so don't shoot me. But at the time, I didn't quite have it. And I came out of college. I was a 21-year-old kid, really. And I went to work for the Pickens County Sheriff's Department. 
and I was a dispatcher for a while and then I got promoted to road patrol. And so back in that era, they didn't send you to the police academy when you were a new recruit and then put you on road patrol. Legally, they could have you patrol the streets for up to one year, 12 months, before they were required by state law to send you to the police academy. It's not that way now. Now when you get hired, you go straight to the police academy, which is how it should be. But back then it wasn't that way because the thinking was it cost a lot of money for the departments to send a recruit, a trainee, and they didn't want you to go through all that training and they spend all that money and then you decide you didn't like it, which happened, I guess. So I literally patrolled the mean streets of Pickens County for 11 months before I went to the police academy. And the way that happened, I got promoted and the captain called me into his office on my first day I was going to patrol. And I walked in and he said, go down the hall to the uh, equipment closet and get some uniforms that fit you and come back. So I went down there and got a pile of uniforms and I came back and he said, well, put one on. I said, okay. So I put on a uniform and he had a badge and a loaded gun and extra magazines. And he said, get in the car. So we got in the car and we drove down to the Pickens County Courthouse. And we milled around in the back halls of the courthouse until we found a judge who wasn't in session. And he said, Judge, I need you to swear in a new recruit. So the judge snapped his fingers and an assistant ran and got a Bible, came back. This is a true story, by the way. Uh, had me put my hand on the Bible and he swore me in, pinned a badge on my chest, put the loaded gun in my holster and said, go get in the car. So I got in the car and we spent the rest of the afternoon driving around Pickens County, which is a large county. And I had a map and I was marking the, the county line so I would know the borders of the county. And we finished and he said, here's the keys to your own patrol car, come back at 7 a.m. So I went home and I came back at 7 a.m. And I went through the debriefing from the shift before about what was going on in the county and off I went. I was now a Pickens County Sheriff's Deputy, just like that. And they said to me, obviously you don't know what, quite what to do in each situation. So the sort of standard procedure is when you get a call, if you're not sure what to do, call for backup. And your supervising officer will come and walk you through the situation. It's sort of like on-the-job training. There weren't enough deputies staffed in the county at the time for us to ride along, which would have been ideal. So we were on our own, but we could call someone in. And they said, we have a great legal library at the law enforcement center. And I lived there for months when I wasn't on patrol, learning the codes and ordinances and state laws. And so that's what happened. Every single call I went on, I called for backup because I didn't know what to do. And after several months, when some of the things become repetitive, you begin to get the picture and it gets a little easier. And then at 11 months, they sent me off to the... Uh, to the uh, Academy where I learned everything I was doing wrong all that time. But anyway, before I went to the police academy, I got a call one day. And it was way up in the northern part of the county, and I was driving down a long dirt road, and then I turned onto another dirt road, and onto another dirt road. And remember, I'm 21 years old from Pennsylvania. I haven't yet gotten the culture and the language of the rural Pickens County yet. And I finally turned on the road where the call came from, and there's nothing but two single wide trailers at the end of this road and I'm driving toward them and in the first yard in front of the first trailer there's a lady standing there and she's kind of tall and wiry she has an old nightgown on curlers in her hair her hair's sticking out everywhere and she's like flailing her arms frantically for me to stop as I'm coming down the road 
And in front of the next trailer, next to her, was this huge pile of tires, like car tires. And they're on fire. And there's a guy standing out there next to them with a garden hose and a can of beer. <laughs> and he's smiling at me. While his next door neighbor is screaming and yelling and jumping up and down. So it's domestic dispute was the call. So I pull up and before I can get out of my car, the lady comes running over to my patrol car and I unroll the window and she runs up and I said, ma'am, did you call? She said, yes. I said, is something wrong? She said, yes, I need your help. And I said, what's wrong? She said, my couch is burnt. I said, what? She said, my couch, it's burnt. I said, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, but I, I can't. I didn't understand what you said. Can you repeat that? She said, my couch is burnt. I got nothing. So I said, ma'am, I understand you're obviously excited. Clearly something's going on. Uh, I want to help, but I need you to take a deep breath and slow down. And please tell me again what the problem is. She took a deep breath. She stood there for a moment and collected herself, and then she leaned into my car door, and she said, My couch is burnt. <laughs> Excellent. So, ma'am, could I see the couch in question? She said, okay. So I get out of the car. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know what she's talking about, but I know it involves a couch. So she leads me up inside the trailer into her living room, and there's this beautiful blue couch. It looks new sitting there. And she's looking at it. She said, well, it's burnt." I said, okay. Can I, can I inspect the couch? She said, okay. So I get down, and I'm pulling cushions off. I'm looking, on, I'm looking for a tag that says burnt." anything to give me a clue what the deal with the couch is. I'm looking for blood. I'm looking for like signs of a violent struggle because it was a domestic dispute. Nothing. The, the thing looks brand new. I stood up. She said, well, you can see it's burnt. What are you going to do? And I said, well, uh, I need just a moment. And I stepped out on the front porch and I called for backup. <laughs> and the dispatcher comes back and says, they always ask you, is it urgent? Because this is a domestic dispute. And I didn't know if it was urgent or not. I didn't know what the problem was. So I said, yes, 1033, which means help me quickly. <laughs> so all of a sudden, the Calvary is coming. You know, 1033 is like there's a serious problem. And the blue lights and sirens and down the dirt road comes this patrol car. It's my sergeant. The sirens are going. He slides up into the front yard. He jumps out, runs up the porch. He says, Rucci! Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, is she okay? I said, yeah, she's fine. He said, what's the problem? I said, it's the couch. He said, what's wrong with the couch? I said, it's burnt. <laughs> he said, what? I said, I know, I don't, I don't. That's all I got. He said, that's it? I said, that's it, that's all I got. That's the only information I have. Her couch is burnt. She kind of pushes me out of the way and walks in the house and he speaks the language and they have a conversation and he comes out laughing and he said, you idiot. <laughs> he said, burnt is the southern way of saying ruined. And the guy next door drinking the beer, burning the tires, the smoke came in through her window and got in the fabric of her brand new couch and it burnt her couch. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But anyway, that was the deal. I can't tell you the sense of relief and clarity that I experienced the moment that my sergeant revealed to me the true meaning of this woman's problem. It was like I was bumping around in a dark room that was unfamiliar, you know? And you don't know where anything is, and then all of a sudden someone tur turns the lights on. That's revelation. <laughs> revelation. It can be a beautiful experience because it illuminates what is otherwise in the dark. And anytime you're in the dark, whether you realize it or not, illumination, light in the darkness, brings clarity. It, it brings information that wasn't available to us before and that often provides us with new information, right? So if you're in a dark room and someone suddenly turns the light on, you now know your proximity in the room to everything else, the location of the furniture, the items in the room, the color of the walls, and so on. And this is exactly what Revelation does in our own lives. It both illuminates existing information available to us that we may not have fully understood before and it provides us with new information that we did not previously have access to. And both of those products of revelation affect what we do next in our lives. And so the more revelation that there is in a, a given situation, the more information we have to act on, right? That's why it's so important that we seek understanding and wisdom and knowledge because those pursuits can bring clarity and often new information which all comes by way of revelation. And revelation comes from Jesus Christ as we seek Him. And that isn't always an instant process, by the way. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the light in the dark room, you know, comes on instantly and there is this great revealing of new information and understanding that comes all at once. However, at other times, the light in the dark room is on a bit of a dimmer switch. And it's as if someone is slowly bringing the light up brighter and brighter very gradually. So at first you can't make out everything in the room, but you can begin to see the big pieces of furniture. You know, and then as the light slowly grows brighter, we can make out more of the details in the room and so forth until eventually we have a full grasp, a clear picture of what is happening around us. And so it's really important that we understand that revelation can come quickly in our lives. However, it can also come very slowly and gradually. But either way, we're responsible to seek Him for divine revelation in every situation that we face in life. And then He will bring that revelation, that illumination to every circumstance in whatever manner and at whatever speed, whatever pace He chooses. Okay? So sometimes we pray for revelation and it comes right away. Sometimes we pray for revelation and it comes gradually over time. There's certainly been times in my life when I didn't fully understand why I went through something that I went through until years after the event. You know what I mean? Revelation came, but it came over a period of time of seeking Him and, and His understanding. And then looking back much later, I could see and understand exactly why I experienced what I did. So this revelation business isn't always an instant process. But it always comes by God when we seek Him diligently. Okay, so let's take a closer look at this as we go back to our text in Luke chapter 24. There are, of course, many relevant points to be made about revelation from God. And we certainly don't have time to cover them all today. So we're simply going to focus on a couple of those as they're presented to us in this text. So let's read Luke 24. We'll start on verse 13. 
where we see that revelation brings understanding. And if you if you take notes, this is the first point in our outline. Revelation brings understanding because it illuminates existing information that we were previously unable to see or understand. All right. So as we pick up the story, this is Sunday after the resurrection of Christ, and he's about to reveal himself to two of his followers who are traveling to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, one of the two is Cleopas, the other is unnamed here. In verse 25, we see Jesus say to them, O foolish ones, and some translations have this as, O foolish men. So the assumption is often that these were two men, but actually, in the Greek, the, the more precise interpretation is, O foolish ones. So it could have been two men, but it could have been a husband and wife. And I say that because in John 19.25, there's a reference to a married couple who are named Mary and Cleopas, who some believed lived in Emmaus. Okay, so although we don't know for certain, this was most likely a man and his wife heading home to Emmaus after celebrating the Passover. It's Sunday, and then they encounter Jesus Christ. Let's read. Uh, verse 13, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And this is, of course, referring to the uh, conviction, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, all those events surrounding it. 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus uh, himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There's a significant point to be made here in, in regard to this idea of receiving revelation from God. In verse 15, Jesus walks up to these two disciples, who in their own right must have been very brave to talk to a stranger as they saw it, the way that they did about Jesus. Because remember, the disciples here were scattered at the trial and crucifixion. They were wanted men. But the really significant point is that in verse 16 it says, that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That isn't because he looked different or had taken on a different form. They were kept from recognizing Jesus by God himself. And it's important that we understand that. In his sovereignty, revelation is given and it's withheld according to God's will. We need to remember that. So when you're seeking understanding... When you need direction for your life, clarity, revelation from God about a, a given situation, that may not always come when we want it to, or as quickly as we want it to. And sometimes that's because we're kept from seeing the whole picture by God himself. Just as these two disciples were kept from seeing who Jesus really was until the appointed time when he revealed himself to them, which we'll see. All right. Sometimes we don't get the whole picture from God right away. And that is often by his design. Why? Because he wants to teach us first. He wants us to learn in the process of walking through a situation before he reveals the final answer. Just as he did here with these two on their walk to Emmaus. Okay? He was teaching them many things, as we'll see, before the fullness of the revelation came. So let's keep reading verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? This was the buzz of the town. This was the talk of the town. Everything that was happening with Jesus. And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Okay, these disciples have just now told Jesus all about what had happened to Jesus, which is kind of funny. And how he was condemned and crucified. But they also tell him about the empty tomb. And how some of the women saw angels who said that he was alive. And even about the the additional disciples who went to the tomb. To verify what the women said. And yet 17, verse 17 says they were sad. Why in the world would they be sad? They've just told this stranger all about Jesus' tomb being empty and the testimony of angels who said that Jesus was alive. Why in the world would these two not be totally excited and happy? Because they didn't believe it was true, right? They knew what the scripture said, but they didn't yet have the faith to believe it. They needed a divine revelation to wipe away their doubt and light the fires of faith to burn within them with a conviction so strong that no matter what the world said after that, they would testify to the truth about who Jesus Christ is. How many of us struggle with doubts? Man, I do. Even though we know what God's Word says, we've received promises about what He's going to do in our lives, but we wrestle with doubt all the same. And Sometimes what we need in those times of struggle is a revelation from God. Sometimes we need to lay down our doubt in the midst of our sadness and our fear and our worry, whatever we're struggling with, and begin to seek Him in spite of our doubts and look to His Word for understanding and allow Him, as He brings revelation, and He will bring revelation into the situations that we face, to stoke the fires of faith until we're so convinced about the truth of what he says that it won't matter what comes our way because our conviction about his truth will overcome all doubt. Proverbs 4 doesn't say, let your heart hold fast to worry. No. It says, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. As we seek Him and the truth of His Word, revelation will come into your life. But as we'll see, it comes in His way and in His timing and by His teaching. Okay, so let's keep reading. Uh, Verse 25. And He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning themselves. He was taking them through the Old Testament, okay? What's happening here? He's, he's bringing understanding to his followers about the scriptures that were already available to them. So this wasn't new information. It was new understanding 
of the information that they already had. You see the difference. Through divine revelation, Jesus is bringing understanding to his followers here. Okay, let's continue. Verse 28, as he continues to talk with his disciples. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And they knew the danger. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It says their hearts burned within them as he opened the scriptures, as he taught them. Why were their hearts burning within them? Because they were gaining a full understanding of the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ for the first time. And it obviously had great bearing on their lives, as it does for us today. Okay? Let's read on. Verse 36, and we'll see how Jesus brings this revelation, this understanding of the scriptures to his disciples in fullness. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In other words, everything that the scriptures say about me is being fulfilled. And you're witnessing it firsthand. Can you imagine the illumination, the revelation for the disciples? These scriptures that they've read and studied and understood to some extent for years, and some of them probably their entire lives, are now being understood in a whole new way. As Jesus reveals a new understanding of the same scriptures that they were already familiar with. Revelation brings understanding and usually that revelation comes through a process of teaching as we read and study the word, as we seek him in prayer and through the counsel of other believers. And so often that understanding comes by way of divine revelation and it's a slow and steady process. In theology we refer to that as progressive revelation. It is the understanding that we don't <clears throat> get the entire plan of God for our lives all at once. And that can apply to a specific circumstance in our lives as well. Sometimes the understanding, the revelation, it comes bit by bit as we walk in faith and seek Him throughout the process. So yes, revelation can be very exciting. <clears throat> but we need not become discouraged 
when it doesn't come right away. Because just as we see throughout Scripture, and even here in our, our text in Luke, understanding often comes gradually over time, okay? And it is often in that gradual process of revelation that we're being taught by God. So it's really important that we not only pray for deliverance from a given situation, but that we also pray for understanding in the midst of our situation because sometimes deliverance only comes after we've learned, after we've come to understand what it is he's trying to teach us. And we see that all throughout scripture. That was the case with so many people in the Bible. Joseph, uh, Moses, uh, Job, Jonah, the nation of Israel. Think about it over and over again. We see people in a process where God is teaching them through their struggle and hardship. And yet the fulfillment of his promises doesn't come until the lessons are fully learned. And only then does revelation and fulfillment come. And it's always by the sovereign hand of God. Okay, so again, this should underscore for us the importance of seeking God for understanding in the midst of our struggles, okay? Now then, we're going to finish our text today by reading one last verse, but it says a lot about revelation because not only does revelation bring understanding, which usually comes gradually over time as we seek Him, but revelation also brings vision, okay? Revelation brings vision. This is new information, often concerning our future. All right, whereas understanding generally deals with information that's already available to us, vision is generally the revelation of new information. And this can also be very exciting, of course, as God reveals new vision, new information for our lives. So let's read verse 49 together, and then we'll talk a little bit about vision. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. This is new information. This is vision for their future. There are other places we see it in Scripture. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. Certainly in Acts 2, which we'll be exploring soon. These are revelations that bring vision for the future. Direction for our lives. Purpose for moving forward. Directives from God, okay? That is laid out here in the first half of this verse. He says, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. New information. Exciting revelation. God is about to do something new that will forever change the course of the lives of these disciples and indeed the lives of believers everywhere. And I'm convinced that some of us in this church, and certainly this applies to believers around the world today, I believe that some of us need a revelation that brings vision for our lives. Sometimes we get so weighed down by the cares of life that our clarity becomes clouded. Our vision isn't as crisp as it once was. We're not sure what we're supposed to do next or what is in store for our lives. In fact, I know believers who are questioning if there really is a, a divine plan, you know, a unique purpose or specific direction for their lives. The fact is, some of us need a vision for the future. We need some new information, some direction for our lives that will only come. That will only come. That will only come by divine revelation. It's not going to come from any place else. It's not going to come from a, a good book. It's not going to come from a movie. It's not going to come from the back of your cereal box. It's 
divine revelation. These disciples were walking around despondent. They were confused. They were questioning, doubting everything they'd come to believe because their leader had been killed. And even though the evidence of his life, his resurrection, the evidence is all around them, in some cases right in front of them, right next to them, they're doubting whether or not there really is a divine purpose for their lives anymore. What, what did it all mean? What was all that about? What, why did we do all that? Why did we follow him all these years? Did we miss it? I'll tell you what, that sounds like many Christians that I know. They've become despondent because their dreams for the future haven't unfolded the way that they thought they would. And they've begun to question, even doubt the sovereignty of God in their lives. The truth is, that's me sometimes. After all that he's done, after all that his word says about me, after proving himself time and time again in my life, I can be just like these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. What's the point? We thought great things were going to happen, but I guess the dream is dead. And the amazing thing about us is that we can be carrying around all of these doubts and fears and disbelief and all the while, Jesus himself is walking right next to us. And we don't even recognize him. We act like the dream is dead. But the dream is not dead. Because Jesus is not dead. He rose from the dead. And all of our hopes and dreams and our vision for the future rose with him. The moment he walked out of that tomb... Anything became possible for those who believe. Mark 9.23 I'm convinced today that rather than scaling back our hopes and dreams for our lives in order to protect our fragile feelings, which is what I do, I'm convinced that many of us simply need a revelation from God that brings new vision for our future. And the good news is, He gives new vision for the future. He gives direction new purpose, specific plans for us. So don't scale back your hope. Don't kill your dreams. On the contrary, look to the future with joy and expectation because God has a plan for your life that is far beyond anything you could ask or think. Ephesians 3.20. Okay, so what's, what's the key to all of this? How's all of this work? This whole idea of revelation, understanding and vision for the future, what's the key? It's found in the second half of verse 49. We just read it. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. In other words, seek the Lord and wait on Him. Seek the Lord. Wait on me to show up. He's just given them new vision, new information. I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. In other words, the dream isn't dead. In fact, your purpose is just getting started. I have big plans for you. You're going to do great things and the key to this new revelation, this new vision and purpose for your life will come as you seek me and wait for me to act in your life. As we'll see in the coming weeks, they went to Jerusalem and sought the Lord together and they waited for him to act. And of course we know that the Holy Spirit was revealed to them and in them and through them. In Matthew 28, the disciples were told to seek Jesus on the mountain in Galilee before the Great Commission was given. Before this new vision and purpose for their future was revealed to them. Moses was told to go up on the mountain where he sought the Lord. And new revelation, new vision for the future was given to him. It's a pattern throughout scripture. 
His revelation brings understanding, and that's generally a steady, gradual process that occurs as we study the Word, as we seek Him in prayer, and in communion, and in the counsel of others. And revelation also brings vision, which comes when we seek Him and wait on Him. You see, the key to all of this is seeking the Lord, and then waiting for Him to act by His sovereign hand, and He will. He will. He always does. When we moved back here to plant this church, I wanted to have some grand vision for the next 30 years for Upcountry Church. But that's not what happened. Some of the church planting gurus at the time told me that I had to have a vision statement that laid out the plan for this church for five years and ten years and so on. But that's not what happened either. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5.7 says, For when dreams increase and the words grow many, there's vanity. But God is the one you must fear. What does that mean? What is this saying? It means we can come up with all of the greatest ideas in the world. We can make all kinds of plans. But in the end, if it isn't God giving the vision, if it isn't God's plan, it's nothing more than the pride of men. Okay, vision is good only if it's God's vision. You with me? Vision is only good if it's His vision. And it's not that we didn't have any vision from God for this church. We certainly did. It's just that as we sought Him through prayer and fasting, a lot of prayer and a lot of fasting, He revealed the vision to us as we needed it. So the initial vision for Upcountry Church was simply to plant a church where people were consistently loved and cared for, where there was an authentic expression of worship to God and a place where His Word would be taught with honesty and conviction. That was it. That's all we got. But that's all that we needed. You see, if we'd been given the vision for the first five years from day one, we would have been so distracted with thinking about where we're going to be in five years that we would have neglected what needed to be done right now. So we focused on the vision that we were given. And that's all. And God has honored the effort, by the way. This church is flourishing because people are being loved. And there's an authentic expression of worship to God. And the word is being taught. There's a culture that's been created in this church. And I say it often and you'll hear it. You'll hear it as long as you come here and as long as I'm pastor. Because I'm absolutely convinced of this. And hear me now. If you've been here more than two times and you've decided, yeah, I think this is where I'm going to come and worship. Then by the power invested in me, I ordain you right now as an official greeter in our greeter ministry. It is your job, as someone walks through that door that you don't recognize, to make them feel like they've come home. That's the culture we've created in this church. It can't stop. It becomes comfortable when we get to know each other, and it's a nice-sized group. We have to continue that. In our greeting time in the middle of the service, man, you just, you've got to hunt people down like a, like a, a cheetah on a gazelle. You've got to go after them. People that you don't recognize. That's how we make people feel welcome. And that's a surface thing, but it's an important thing because it's an impression that, hey, these people, they care about me. has to go a lot deeper than that. Then we get into relationship. Well, man, that gets sticky. Then we get into discipleship. Oh, that's years of commitment. Guess what? That's what we're called to do. That's what making disciples is. It's far more than evangelism. That's the first step. It's a lifelong process of locking arms and saying, I love you to the point that I will die for you. 
hey, that's a much bigger thing, but that's what this deal is about. I have all these church planting manuals that we buy. You know, Monday we're going to a, a church growth conference, and I'm not disparaging of all of that. I always learn good stuff. There's good information that we can take away and use. But I'll tell you what, I've often thought if I ever wrote a church planting manual, a church growth manual, it would say something like this. Introduction. Thank you for purchasing this manual. The proceeds will go to helping Upcountry Church grow. Chapter 1. Seek God and wait upon the Lord for vision for your church. The end. I don't know how much money I could get for it, but I've been thinking about putting it out there. The truly beautiful and exciting part is, though, that there is a lot more vision and future for this church. Not that what we're doing isn't enough. It's just that as we're faithful with what he's given us, he's going to give us more that we'll need to be responsible for. That's how it works. And I'm glad to report to you today, by the way, that as we seek the Lord and have been and wait on him, and we have been, he has been giving us new information, new vision for the future for this church. We've begun to identify those among us who have a divine calling on their lives to full-time ministry and beyond. We're moving in the direction of bringing others into the ministry here as pastors and deacons as the Lord wills and provides and by His sovereign hand, of course. He's also revealing to us a future that involves planting other churches and other campuses of upcountry church. It's very exciting to have new vision. We're certainly not getting the entire picture right now. I can't give you all the ABCs of that. But we're getting just what we need right now to know how to proceed in preparation for what he has yet to do with his church. And it only comes as we take time and effort to seek him and wait on him. And obviously as the vision grows and these developments progress, we'll talk more about them. But you need to know this morning particularly if you're in a place where you feel stuck, like you haven't been able to get any traction for the future, or if your vision for the future is clouded in any way, I want you to know God wants to give you a fresh vision. I, I prayed about this sermon like I always do. I'm supposed to tell you this. God wants to give some of you a fresh vision, new information, a real revelation. I'm not talking about adding to, you understand those of you theologians. I'm not talking about adding to the Bible. I'm talking about fresh vision and direction for your lives. Alright? And although you probably won't get it all at once, He will give you what you need when you need it. But you need to know it will only come as you take the time and effort to seek Him and then wait upon Him. And then you, you take what He gives you, you act upon it, and when He decides it's time, He'll give you a little more. And then a little more. And soon enough, I promise you, you'll look back. If you stay the course, you'll look back and you'll be amazed at how far you've come in a short period of time. The reason that doesn't happen is because we don't stay the course. We give up often because it's hard. It's hard to wait on the Lord to seek Him and then just take a little thing that He gives us and act upon it. We get impatient. We want to get ahead of God. And I can look back over the last five years of my life. What a whirlwind. Unbelievable, all of the things that God has done. So please, guys, don't be discouraged today if your life feels a bit stale. I promise you, if you'll seek the Lord and wait on Him, He will bring revelation and understanding into your life 
that you never imagined. Okay? Let's pray.